Holy Spirit, move through your word, the word that you inspired to be written by great men such as Paul the Apostle, who was not great on his own right, but it was only great because of the work of Christ in his life that turned him from a murderer, that turned him from a bigot to a champion for the kingdom of God, somebody who would do anything to advance the gospel. Holy God, thank you for your work. Thank you for the work in your saints. And thank you for giving us examples of how to live our Christian life in things that we can do on the daily and be focusing on on the daily to strengthen ourselves in the face of temptations and in the face of this very real spiritual warfare that's attacking us on the daily. Mm. Holy God, be with me as I speak today. I know that none of my words can mean anything without you behind them. Um, be with all of our affiliated churches, Father, and our extended church family and people that can't be here, people people just in our area as well Father, we pray that the gospel goes out um, speak through us today and in your name I pray amen so if we're looking back here so we're focusing on the helmet of salvation today so um, in verse 17 it says and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so we're focusing on the helmet today so we talked back through here and we've gone over the um, pretty much almost the complete set of the armor of God at this point um, so we talked about and farmer brought um, the ideas of the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith to us and if we remember we talked about the the belt the belt of truth and that truth holds the whole armor together I mean without that belt the armor would be falling apart and we would not be ready for war right Amen. our pieces would be falling down we'd be exposed so we know that that truth is what holds us together. So knowing the truth of God, knowing the truth of his word, is the start to all of this. And then if we look up next, we look at the breastplate of righteousness. And righteousness in and of itself is not something that we can do. We are made righteous because of the work of Christ on the cross, because of the gospel. He makes us right with God. So that right standing with God, that's our righteousness. That protects your chest, that protects your heart, that protects your organs. It protects you from physical blows of swords and weapons from the enemy. That's what that breastplate of righteousness does. So living that life that's righteous and living and aspiring to be like Christ, that's that righteousness that we put on our chest. And we talked about the shoes. We talked about the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that was one as a kid that always kind of threw me off. I never really knew what that was talking about. But as Farmer talked about and having studied, we kind of know now that that means we put shoes on our feet that allow us to be able to spread the gospel at all times. This is a readiness to share our faith. It's a readiness to be open and to be witnesses for Christ. And we talked about this, if you were here with us back in January and February, as Ethan talked us through the three circles method of sharing our faith and, and bringing Christ into daily conversations. Or even when I was able to share with us about the who's your one method, where we, um, you know, you choose a person, you're praying for that person specifically with these prayers for over 30 days. And we, we see... We see that being ready and being prepared to share the gospel, not just knowing the word, not just knowing the truth, but being prepared and ready at all times to share that gospel, being willing to go. I mean, shoes, without shoes on our feet, we're not going anywhere. Um, uh, our 13-year-old um, um, likes to run outside without shoes on all the time. So we'll park in the driveway, which is all gravel, and we'll be like, all right, we're going to unload these groceries. And we'll be like, come on and help. And he'll come out with no shoes on, walking in the scrabble, and then he'll come inside and complain about his feet hurting. And I'm like, well, he didn't put your shoes on. What do you expect? And so I think it's kind of the same. It's kind of like it's kind of a silly example, but think about this in our Christian life. If we're if we're going out 
and we're going from point A to point B, but we're not prepared with the right equipment, the right shoes to go, whether that be a ministry that God's calling you to, or even your day daily work life, or whatever it might be, or family life, if we're not prepared to go, we're going to mess our feet up. And even more so, think about the battlefield. Think about an ancient battlefield. These things would have been littered with sharp objects, arrows, even fire, and all these other things. So the shoes were really important to the soldiers to be able to protect them from this deadly terrain going forward. So being able to prepare ourselves, being able to put these shoes on, being able to spread the gospel, being under, understanding that and being prepared to share the gospel is incredibly important. Um, then we talked about shoe of faith. The shield of faith, probably maybe one of the most important parts, maybe the most important part of the armor. But we're talking about a shield, and in Paul's time, we're talking about Roman shields too. So these things were huge, almost the size of, an, of a grown man. So they would, um, well, they would do they would do this thing called the tortoise method, where they would all come together, like a whole battalion of soldiers would come together, and they'd stand side by side and put their shields in front of them. And they would all stand in this line, and then the soldiers behind them would come with their shields and put their shields over top of their heads. And this way they can protect themselves from the initial volley of arrows that their enemies would be firing. So this is actually one of the methods that made the Roman army so successful. Um, because if you think about it, when they invaded Europe, quick history lesson, when they were invading Europe, they were going against barbarian tribes. And so these tribes were primitive in comparison to the Romans. But one of their greatest weapons was um, their agility on horseback and um, their ability with bow and arrow. So the Romans developing these very interesting techniques to protect themselves, um, not just with their armor, but with their shields, was able to give them the leg up on conquering countless people groups as they took over the world. So it's, if you think about shields in that way, this is very much what Paul would have had in mind as he's looking at his context. He's had the, these big shields in mind. He's has in mind what the Roman army was using them for. And so we think about faith. Faith is a shield that covers our whole body. So it's not just the belief, it's not just the truth, but it's that faith. It's the faith that God does what he says he's going to do. It's that faith that Christ's work really saves us. It's that faith that we can become more like Christ. It's that faith. Faith is, you know, Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the essence of things that we can't see. And so we have to have this faith that our invisible God is mightier than any situation that we can face. And that's why the shield of faith is what extinguishes the darts of the devil as they're thrown at us. So as these fiery arrows are coming in, as the enemy's taking pot shots at us, it's the shield of faith, the shield of hope, the shield of knowing and trusting in God and in his work and in what he's done for you now and what he's going to do for you in the future. That's what gives you the power to be able to extinguish that. You know, combining all of this throughout the word and knowing that truth and knowing scripture and knowing what God promises in that scripture, that all is part of all of this. That's the underlying thread of all of this. Um, but today, of course, we're talking about the helmet of salvation. So we're talking about protecting our heads, protecting our necks. We're talking about protecting what is, I would say, probably the most vital work in the body. We're protecting the mind. We're protecting the brain. So the helmets were incredibly important. The helmet was actually the last piece of armor that a Roman soldier would put on before going into battle. They would have um, their armor bearers or who... Um, kind of like squires in a sense, but of course before the Middle Ages. But um, they would come by and help them check all their armor, make sure that all their armor was on properly, and then they would attach the helmet. And so the helmets in these days were these, they were made of metal, and they would go around like this, all the way around the front, forehead, all the way back down the side of the head, and in Roman helmets would actually come down back around the neck and out forward like this. So almost creating a collar as well. 
Um, they were lined with leather, I guess for comfort, I would assume. And then um, normally had some kind of decoration that would tell what battalion they were with and who their general was or whatever that might have been. So, but we're talking about these, we're talking about helmets. So we think about it from the soldier's perspective, but think about it from a modern soldier's perspective. Think about it from an American soldier's perspective. Uh, helmets are required. I think about, you know, growing up, um, when I was a kid, we went to war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so I think, when I think soldiers, that's normally what comes to my mind because that was what was so present everywhere when I was a kid. And so thinking about those soldiers, I think about the thick, the Kevlar and metal helmets that American soldiers wear. And even more so today, the helmet is so vitally important because if you're in combat and the enemy has a sniper or has somebody who's coming after the surprise, they're aiming at the head. They're going for the head because that's an instant kill. So if they can, if you're not wearing your helmet or your helmet's not on properly, that's a death sentence. So why is the Bible, why does Paul, and more importantly, why does the Spirit feel it's so important for us to protect our head? Not just that, but why is it the helmet of salvation? And so that's kind of what we're going to be digging into today and kind of digging into that. So we know why a physical helmet is so important, but why is the spiritual helmet so important? And I think if we break it all down, it's the battle for our minds. So we live in this physical plane, and we live in a plane where we don't see spiritual warfare going on around us. We don't see um, the principalities. We don't see, we don't see Satan. We don't see these things attacking us. We don't see them physically attacking us. But where Satan, where these things can creep in, and where sin itself from ourselves can creep in is our mind. Our mind is our private battlefield. It's something that nobody else is privy to. So it's easy. It's easy for Satan to attack us in our mind. So I'd all, So when we're talking about the helmet of salvation, I think that the Bible goes deeper than just the covering on the head. I think it's also talking about what we put into our mind and creating a helmet around our mind and around how we think and how we live and around our spirit itself and our essence in whole and uh, going from there. So there's... Um, Verses all throughout the Bible that talk about the significance of the mind, the significance of the heart, and the heart and mind were these ideas in ancient in ancient Hebrew times that were kind of like melded together. They were uh, basically the same thing. So if you look back at the words for them, they're very similar words, sometimes even the same words. So a verse that came out came to mind this week when I was studying was uh, Proverbs four twenty three, and this was I went to Christian school in high school, and this was one of our um, yearly verses. Um, that we had to memorize. Um, so it was uh, Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flows the spring of life. And I think, so when I was studying this week, that's really what kept coming back to me when I was thinking the helmet of salvation, when I was thinking the mind, when I'm thinking about heart. And what the proverb is saying is, you protect your heart, you protect your mind, because that's where everything from your life is going to come out. That's where your actions come out, that's where your speech comes out, and that's, that's how you act. So my mom always would say something like, put good in, get good out. Put bad in, you get bad out. So that's why, so my mom was always like on my back about the kind of music I would listen to when I was a kid. So she, she came in and I was listening to something and it was like, you know, you know, talking about all this different stuff that I probably shouldn't have been listening to at 13. She would be like, you got to turn that off because you're putting bad in your mind, you're going to get bad out. You know, and so I, that's something that sticks with me to this day. And so when we look at the helmet of salvation, when we look at protecting our minds, 
That's what we're looking at. So how can we do that? How can we protect our minds? How can we put on this helmet of salvation, make sure that it's securely fastened before we go into battle on the daily? So, you know, we think about the belt of truth. We buckle on our belt of truth, right? And that's the word of God, um, the truth from the word of God. Um, there in the truth of who God is and understanding that base truth. So that's an, a base understanding there. We talk about the breastplate of righteousness, which as we're believers, that's as we grow in Christ. Um, and that breastplate of righteousness, I feel like it's stronger. You know, then we've got the shoes, being prepared to share the gospel. And that's kind of like an applicable, very tangible thing that we can do to prepare ourselves to know our faith and to share it. And then we go to the shield of faith. And having faith in God that he's going to do what he says he's going to do is hard. It's, it's, it's a hard thing. And so going back to the shield of faith, I think about how hard those shields probably were to lift. They were solid metal and almost as big as the soldiers were. So think about how hard and heavy those would have been to lift. So the shield of faith is not an easy thing to grasp around. But I feel like these kind of go in order. So we go from the shield of faith and we go to the last thing that the soldier would put on, the helmet. And so the helmet is the last thing and it's the most important thing to get right. So the helmet of salvation. So why is it the helmet of salvation? We know what it's protecting now. We know it's protecting our mind. It's protecting that very spirit. What makes us human? It's what makes us sentient. It's what makes us better than animals. It's what uh, makes us in the image of God. It's what separates us from other life forms, is our mind, our ability to make rational decisions, our um, ability to feel complex emotions. And your heart and your mind are intertwined in that way. And so thinking about why is salvation so important to protecting our head? So, I mean, you would think that salvation is important to all of this, right? I mean, you can't, without being a believer, you can't truly put on the full armor of God. But I don't believe that this passage is talking about salvation as purely just, you know, understanding and believing the work of the gospel. So if you know anything about the doctrine of salvation, there are three aspects to it. There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. So the first aspect to the doctrine of salvation is justification. And justification is the act at salvation that saves you. It's the act of becoming a believer. It's the act of becoming a Christian. So that justification is Christ has died. His blood covers your sin. God no longer sees your sin. You accept that free gift. You are justified before God. You're justified. So that's the work that the Son did on the cross. And then we talk, secondly, though, about sanctification. So sanctification is the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's not that we're continuously being saved, but it's we're continuously being sanctified. We're continuously trying to become more like Christ. And so sanctification falls some more to some personal responsibility. So with, we can't truly be sanctified if we're not in the Word, if we're not praying, if we're not living out that Christian life and seeking to be more like Christ. And the Spirit works out sanctification in that way. So as we're, as we're continuing down this life, we're thinking about sanctification here. You know, and the helmet of salvation, I think, has to do with all three of these aspects. And thirdly, and lastly, we see glorification. And glorification is the end. It's the end goal, right? It's when we'll be unified with God the Father as we were meant to be in the beginning. He created us to be perfect beings, to rule over his creation, to be in communion with him. So glorification is the end of salvation. So when we are glorified, we become we become. Uh, like we were intended to be. So in death here, while this earthly plane still exists, that means being unified with God in heaven and being unified in praise with God in heaven. 
and being there and being in his presence and enjoying that, but that's not the end of the story. Glorification continues when God comes back and Jesus comes back and creates the new heaven and the new earth and his earthly kingdom is established in this brand new perfect realm. That's when the glorification truly is complete because then things will be like they were intended to be in the Garden of Eden. So we see these three aspects of salvation and I think that understanding these three aspects can really help us understand the helmet of salvation. Um, so I... So, Farmer and I have both been using this book for this sermon series. It's called The Invisible War. And chapter 11 is called Battle for Your Mind. And he makes a lot of points in chapter 11 about the helmet of salvation. And he gives this incredible anecdote of being, you know, this pastor at this successful church in Santa Cruz, California. Um, having his family nearby. Um, him and his wife being happy and content. Um, they're older. Their children are grown. Um, they love their house, they love their community, they're active, they're doing what God wants them to do. But then he gets this opportunity to go and run this nonprofit in Atlanta, Georgia, away from everything that they've ever known. And they pray about it, and they pray about it, and they know that it's where God's leading them. But it's still hard to come to terms with that. So they end up going, and it's a struggle. He talks about his wife being depressed and being sad and being lonely, and he talks about him constantly doubting whether or not he's doing the right thing, and even at some points doubting whether or not God's even talking to him, even, even show, showing him the way, and at points even doubting his faith. But he says that he came to this point in this story when he was, when he was there. He was, they weren't experiencing any kind of success with this nonprofit, but they knew it was what God wanted them to do. And he, came, he, he says in the book that he comes to this point where he... Um, was praying and just crying out to God, and he realized that the worst that can happen to him is death. And that's not even the worst part, because that's only the beginning of everything that we're living for here on earth. And so he talks about salvation in that aspect, and once he kind of understood, and once he kind of grasped and wrestled with that fact that, that that salvation is what secures us, and salvation is what anchors us here, and that salvation is truly what protects us here. So let's think about that in terms of uh, these other things that we've talked about already. So we're, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about sanctification specifically while we're alive here on earth and continuing to try to become like Christ. So this sanctification is, is part of... Um, sanctification really, I think, when I read and when, I, when I've uh, been studying this, a lot, I mean, I don't truly believe that you can be actively being sanctified if you don't believe and reflect on your own salvation. So that's something that I tried to actively do this week, was reflect on my salvation. And I think there's a lot of power in that. So I think, so protecting our minds, you know, of course, putting good in. Um, also, a lot of the times, excuse me, I'm a little all over the place today. I apologize. Probably too much caffeine. If anybody who doesn't know, I'm very ADHD, so sometimes if I uh, have too much caffeine on top of my medicine, I'm a little all over the place. But no excuses here, just apologies. Anyway, so we're talking about um, um, the helmet of salvation, you know, protecting your mind, protecting what goes in, um, and so therefore um, we'll be protected from those attacks of the devil um, that attack our mind. Um, so we're talking about Satan attacking our minds. So let's let's get down to this. So um, Satan attacks our minds in everyday ways. So um, if we if we flip over to I believe what is it? Is it James? I have forgot to mark 
about this one. Where it talks about Satan, he prowls around as a roaring lion, seeking those who he may devour, Michael Peter. Um, but we, we think about Satan as this predator. He's, um, him and the, and the uh, spiritual forces of darkness are constantly waging this war against Christ and Christ's followers for the sole purpose of trying to slow down the kingdom. So if we, we think about it this way, um, Satan is aware that he's already lost, right? So the best victory that he could hope for in life is stopping us from doing God's will and stopping us from following God. So in everyday ways, we're attacked. So I think a lot about consumerism, materialism, and these other things that are become idols in our minds. So if we're, if we're living this life, and we are, you know, just going along and we're thinking about, okay, how can I do my best at work? How can I get this money? How can I buy the things I want to buy? How can I get these new shoes? How can I get this new phone? How can I even, even, um, how can I put more away for retirement and doing all these things? Think about this, and we're going to think about that, and we're putting all of these things in, or how can I be like these celebrities? How can I be like this person or that person? How could I be famous? How could I do all these things? These are idols in our minds. But for a lot of us, we may say, oh yeah, I don't, I don't do that, I don't act in that way. But those things can still creep in our minds. And when they creep in our minds, they expand and they push out the good in our minds. So the way to combat that is, of course, by reading our word, you know, praying. But more important, not, not more importantly, but just as importantly, I'd say, is reflecting on our salvation. So let's get back to that, reflecting on our salvation and thinking about the actual work of salvation, the actual work of Christ on the cross. And so, uh, like I said, I think it begins with those three points of what salvation actually is. But um, um, reflecting on our salvation is something that's incredibly important. So like I said, I was doing that this week. So I was reflecting on my salvation, and I think that there's a lot of power in sharing testimonies. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'll share a little bit of mine real quick. Um, but I was thinking about this also this week. I was talking to my buddy Ethan, and um, he's been helping us. Uh, we're getting our house ready because we're moving. Uh, so we're getting ready to list on the market. So he's been back and forth in my house all week long helping me move stuff and clean things. So uh, we were talking one day when I was driving him home about, you know, our testimonies and about, you know, how we came to that knowledge of Christ and, you know, how there's different points in our life, even after that initial point of salvation, where you come and you have these moments of, these these beautiful moments of clarity where the gospel is further expanded in your mind and your salvation is further expanded and you understand that work of salvation even better. So I became a believer when I was 16 years old. I was a, a reckless, rebellious kid. I was angry. Um, I, you know, was pursuing a lot of things that were not what's best. Um, but I had this very real moment with God. Um, I was struggling very bad with depression and uh, suicidal thoughts and a bunch of other things at the time. And um, out of nowhere, my brother starts dating this girl um, who he's married to now, my older brother. And she comes by and um, she sees that I'm super into music. So she invites me to this thing that her church does every year where they would go to this Christian music festival called Ixus. It's in uh, Kentucky. Well, it wasn't Kentucky. Um, in like this, like hundreds of acres of farmland, they set up all these crazy stage, huge, uh, uh, huge Christian contemporary artists come and perform. But what really drew me in is they have a uh, punk stage with uh, Christian punk bands and hardcore bands and metal bands and hip hop and all this other stuff that I was like, you know, really into and still honestly I'm very into at this time. So I said, okay, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I'll go. I mean, 
it doesn't seem quite like another church event and my mom and dad will let me go to this. So it's um, a week-long thing, you camp in tents and stuff. So we went and um, I didn't expect to find anything there. I expected to go, you know, to see some cool bands, you know, to buy some cool t-shirts and some records or something and then come home and life was going to go on the same. I did not expect to meet Christ at, at this place. So I, I was, I would watch these bands and I started watching these, you know, hardcore metal bands and stuff. And, you know, some of them were just like normal shows that I would go to back home, you know, nothing in particular. But then I um, watched two bands. I watched a band called Four Today and a band called Sleepy Giant. And in both of their sets, their lead, the lead singers for both bands would, um, in between songs, would share the gospel and share their testimonies. And I remember, especially the one band Sleepy Giant, the singer's testimony was so powerful. He, he came from a broken home, um, um, from gang culture from, um, you know, being in this situation where he felt responsible for his best friend's suicide, all these crazy things that had happened in his life, but through it all, Christ met him, and Christ brought him to himself, and, you know, used and started using him to reach, you know, kids around the world who were in the hardcore and punk scenes, and uh, to this day, he's a pastor in Salt Lake City, and so his testimony really struck me, and so um, after their set, um, the band invited everybody to come to like a more intimate set that they were doing that night in a tent at midnight. It was just going to be like an all-worship set. And so I went, and that's where I met Christ. That's where Christ met me. So I was, I, you know, you're there and you're worshiping, and I didn't really put much stock into it. But after, you know, after they prayed to open it, I felt the tangible presence of God's Spirit, and I felt God calling me to Him, and I broke down. And at that point, that's when I, you know, accepted, I accepted Christ. I prayed with, I prayed with some uh, people that were there and, you know, I came to know Christ. And so that is my salvation experience. And I reflect on that often, but that's not the end of my salvation experience because yes, once we're saved, we're justified and we no longer have to ask Christ to come into our hearts and set us free and to clean, and to clean us up and to make us how God intended us to be. You know, once he does that, once we're justified, we're justified. But salvation doesn't stop there because we go into sanctification now. And now I can think about different points throughout my life where I had these very real meetings with God and where, you know, God works in my life and sanctifies me. And sometimes they're big and flashy, but sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's just that still small voice or reading a certain verse of scripture and knowing that God is doing that work in your life to further bring you to him. In reflecting on salvation, there is so much power in that. And reflecting on what God does in your life, there's so much power in that. Think about in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, God continuously had the Israelites set up these monuments to him into this work that he's done. When they crossed the Jordan River, they set up this 12-stone altar. When they um, you know, defeat certain cities with Joshua back in those books, they set up altars. Um, the judges would set up altars. You know, King David would set up altars. Um, and we look at these altars and we look at these places. These are monuments so God's people can remember what God has done for them. That's the whole reason they memorized the Torah. That's the whole reason they memorized the first five books of the Bible is to remember what God did for them. That's why they celebrate the Passover. That's why they celebrate all of these other holidays and festivals in Judaism. Because they're remembering what their great God, what Yahweh God did for them in those moments. And they're remembering their salvation by an almighty, holy God who cared about them, and who loved them, and who is there for them. 
And so same thing as, as a Christian, as a believer in the 21st century, how can we reflect on our salvation every day? How can we reflect on that sanctification and back to the justification and all the future glorification? How can we reflect on these things in ways that bring us closer to God and that will truly protect our minds and protect our heads and protect our necks from the attacks of the enemies, from getting hewn off with an axe or you know getting shot in the head with an arrow or a laser or whatever you want to imagine it being? So we're thinking about these things, and we're thinking about fortifying our minds. So we're thinking about, we're thinking about um, exercising our spiritual minds. So to keep your body in shape, you might run. You might do core workout. You might go to the gym. Well, I hope you're not going to the gym right now because that seems very dangerous. Um, but you might do all of these things to keep your body in shape. To keep your mind in shape, you might, you know, I practice math problems because I'm a nerd and I like math. Um, or you might play, you know, like they have those like brain games or do Sudoku or crosswords or whatever it might be to keep your mind a little bit sharp or read. That's a good example to keep yourself in shape emotionally and mentally in that aspect as far as mental health goes. You might spend time with friends and family, or you might take some time for yourself to go on a walk or just to meditate or whatever it might be. So we do all of these things for ourselves and personally. So why do we not take time to exercise spiritually? So when I think about spiritual exercise, you know, we can think about memorizing the Word of God. I like to memorize catechisms. Um, I like to look at liturgies and read books and do all these things. But one of the greatest things that I feel is overlooked is this exercise of salvation. It's exercising our thoughts of salvation, our thoughts of where we've been and where we're going and where we will be in the future, um, and reflecting on that. So in, in essence, it is a kind of meditation. It's a meditating on God's work, and it's a meditating and a remembrance of what he's done. I want to see us celebrating our salvation. I want to see us excited. I want to see testimonies being shared. I want people to, to express that joy because there's so much power in that. There's so much power in sharing what God's done for your life. It could be as simple as, um, yo, a I got an extra bonus on my paycheck and was a thousand bucks and it's exactly what I needed because my hot water tank broke and now I can replace it and God just took care of us in that way. That's a reflection on God's salvation. That's a reflection on that work that God does in our lives. And we're fools if we think that the good things that happen in our life are not a result of God. We believe that God's sovereign, right? We believe that God is over everything. We believe that God sees everything that happens and at very least allows it to happen if not orchestrates things. But we also know that God is a good Father, and every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, to whom there is no variance. He doesn't change. He's always been good. From the beginning of time, before there were even people, he was good. And he's going to be good at the end of time, when we're living in the perfect new heaven and the new earth. So if we believe that God is truly good and he gives us these gifts, why do we not reflect on that more? Why do we not reflect on what God does in our life more? Why do we not reflect on that on the daily? The fact that I even got up this morning is a gift. You know? The fact that I have my family is a gift. The fact that I have Megan is a gift because Lord knows I'd be a mess without her. You know, she holds me together. And so reflecting on that daily and understanding that blessing daily is, is huge and is a moment of salvation. And when you understand, when you understand that God does these things, that's part of your sanctification as a Christian. Understanding that God is